For just one moment, imagine yourself this picture. A little lamb is born into your flock. It is the first lamb of an ewe that you can win any show with. It is beautiful and in no time it grows to be like its father and mother. There is no defect in it. The long fleecy wool and the well-balanced built of this lamb leaves all the promises of the best you have. You are a Jew and as such you have to attend at least one festival on the Jewish calendar which is the Day of Atonement. As you prepare for this day your heart shrinks at the thought that God wants the best you have on the altar as a sacrifice for your transgressions. Every day you feed this perfect lamb, you cannot help but to wonder if God would not be satisfied with another. But you realize that in order for you to have peace with God, you will have to take the lamb you really love and sacrifice it to God. Then one morning, a few days before the Day of Atonement, you take your lamb, tie a rope around its neck, and with your family you begin the journey to Jerusalem. It's a long trek which might take a few days. In the meantime, you'll feed your lamb, you give it some water along the road, and in the process you have a look in the eyes of this innocent animal. Your heart cringes as you know the reason why you have this beautiful animal tied to a rope, leading it on your way to the altar. You do it for your sins. God demands that a life be given in order to atone for your sins. And you think, this lamb is innocent. It is not even aware of my problem with sin. And then you arrive at the site of the sacrifice at the temple of Jerusalem. There is a stench of blood in the air. Smoke goes up from the altar as other people offer their lambs or goats or bulls for their sins. The priest looks you in the eye and asks of you something that could easily break your heart. Take your knife and kill your animal. You look at your beloved lamb, innocent, without defect, totally oblivious of what's going on around it. You remember those big eyes. Your hand reached into your pocket. Only you can do it. Because the, the law demands that you do it. You have to kill the animal. After the, that, the priest will take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the altar. 
some of the portions it will be offered up in total while other parts will be given to you and your family to enjoy as a reminder that God has forgiven you transgressions. After the festival, you and your family will leave Jerusalem homewards. In your mind will be the burning fact that an innocent animal had to do, had to give a life for your sins. It was not the first time that you had to do this. There were many times in the past, and there will be many more in the future, because the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats cannot satisfactorily atone for any man's sin. Even if you decide to make an end to the shedding of blood by trying to live holy and sinless, it would not help because whatever you do will never be enough to stop the killing of innocent animals. Your heart cries out before the Lord, why? Why the spilling of innocent blood? Why the anger of God upon sin? Is there a way this can be stopped? Thousands upon thousands of bulls and goats and lambs are killed every year and it seems as if the righteousness of God can never be satisfied. And only the best you can give will ever be good enough before God and even then he will not be completely satisfied. What I've tried to tell you in the story is but a fraction of the gospel, but it's nonetheless the heart of the gospel. Because when we talk about atonement and the atonement of the cross, we talk about the love of the Father. We need atonement before God. Only a life can make atonement and only the best will do to satisfy the righteousness of God and his anger upon sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy the righteousness of God and his anger upon sin. The innocent has to die for the guilty. God alone can make an end to the endless need of sacrifice. There's a verse in the Bible that we know very well. As a matter of fact, we made it the most quoted and loved verse in the Bible. And it goes like this. God so loved the world that he gave his only, and his only begotten son that whoever lives, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his son. The verse we read today in Romans chapter 8 states it very clearly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He did not 
spare his son, but he gave him up. There are some other verses in the scriptures to consider. We read in Romans chapter 3, 21, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Why? He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There's another verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 9. You see that just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John puts it in these words, 1 John chapter 4.10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In all of these verses, and they are surely not all the verses in the scriptures dealing with this immense truth, we find this golden thread. Love, justice, sins, transgressions, action taken, atonement procured, and righteousness made, and sins forgiven. We see the righteous God who in justice is angry because of sin. There is a loving God who, die, who desires to save. And there are us who cannot make amends for our sins. And between us and God is this huge gaping canyon which we cannot cross. And from our point of view, there is no way out unless we find a perfect sacrifice for our sins. A person like us Yet innocent, innocent like a lamb. We need someone who would perfectly identify with us, but also perfectly be God to satisfy both the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man. The question now is who? You know the answer. I hope by now you know the answer by now. The answer to those who know the Bible and know the message of the Bible, that's fairly straightforward. It is the person of Jesus Christ. But it's precisely here where we can misunderstand the gospel too. So let's go back to those verses again. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. Do you get it? He gave his son. Romans chapter 8, 32. He who did not 
spare his son. God presented him. God presented him. God demonstrates his own love for us. God loved us and sent his son. So in essence we have to say that the only one who could atone for us and the only one who wants atonement is God. We have the righteous, holy God who in love looked down on pitiful, helpless, eternally lost rebels and he then decides to do something about our miserable state and destiny. And then the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to save rebellious mankind is put into action. And this is necessary because God's righteousness demands it. Sin has to be atoned for. And the only one to do, the only way to do this is through the sacrifice of a holy and perfect atonement. To propitiate, and that's a word that we don't hear anymore, and, and, and maybe the children, and, and if the, the others don't know it too, look, to tell you the truth, I had to look up exactly what this means, because you only find that in the Bible. Do you know that? This was only found in the Bible. Propitiate. And propitiate means to turn away the anger of someone. To appease someone. To bring peace because of a sacrifice. But we must understand that Jesus, the Son of God's love, did it willingly. Because he obeyed his Father willingly. And his Father loved sinners. And his spirit would do what, what he must do, and that is to bring the lost to Christ. We might understand, maybe from it, as we've heard the gospel, that God is this angry God with sin, and which he is, but he's so angry with sin that his son came in and his son said, well, I'll do something and I'll beg the Father to forgive you. That's not the language of the Bible. God loves us. And then, willingly, his son paid the price. It is not like it's us and it's God and it's another person coming in. It is us and God. We can't do it. God's just justice and righteousness demands it. And God then takes the action.
and he saves us through the cross of Jesus. It is an amazing aspect of God's love. He does not love us because of the cross of Jesus. Because that could distort the, the message of the gospel. God does not love us because of the cross of Jesus. We have to put it the other way around. The cross of Jesus was necessary because God loved us. And if we understand it this way, we begin to understand the love of God for sinners. The cross of the Son was a sign of His love. The cross was necessary to provide the atonement we needed to know how deep the love of God really is. This is what we celebrate at the communion when we see the signs of God's love. Listen to other verses. On Pentecost, Peter preached and declared God's plan for redemption. He said, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. It was God's plan. Now, why would God do such a thing? I wished I could tell you the answer. I can't. No one can tell you the answer to this. Why would God do such a thing? Apart from saying, God loved us. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus received authority from the Father. And he says, all things have been committed to me or handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. But this authority is also given to him by the Father. And Jesus then says in John chapter 10, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Authority by the Father to say, well, he's the only one. He's the only one who can do that. The authority is given by the Father to Jesus to go to the cross and to pay the penalty for sin. He's got the authority. And you might say, who are you? Who is this Jesus? Well, he's got the authority of the Father. But behind that is the love of God who no one can ever fathom. And therefore Jesus says to his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed or handed over into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the words used here take us back to that lamb. You know, you can, you can use all sorts of terms. But to 
bring a lamb for the sacrifice, you can only kill it. I don't know if you ever killed a lamb or an animal. Have you, have you ever done that? It's not a very pleasant sort of thing to do, but you do it. You've got blood all over you. And Jesus said, the Son of Man will be handed over. He who has authority from the Father has the authority, the seal of God's approval to be killed for what? To bring righteousness and to propitiate, to bring peace with God. Our text in Romans then clearly concludes this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestines to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's what his son came to do. He paid for our sins and he, he, he brought peace before God. And he, he, he satisfied the righteousness of God so that by faith we accept him and we become in the eyes of God like his son. And therefore we say. So what's the net effect of the atoning death of Christ? He who did not spare his own son but give him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If in the Greek you use the word spare, you would prevent disaster or trouble from happening to someone. But if you do not spare, you actively bring disaster upon someone or something in the form of punishment. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. If God did not spare. Here we, here we get the same thing. If God did not spare angels when they sinned. But sent them to hell. Another word that we have to say. Putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And if God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on his ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others and then it, it, it mentions a few other examples if this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment not spare not spare means continuing their punishment, and hold them for the day of judgment. Now, this is what God did with his son. He handed him over. He deliberately put him in the place of those whom God wanted to spare the disaster of punishment. And when the Bible then declares that he handed over his son, the one he loved, he handed him over for judgment. And the word is used in a judicial way to describe what happens when those finding themselves on the wrong side of the law. And then Jesus declared, the Son of Man is going to be handed over and they will kill him. 
Romans chapter 4 says he was delivered over to death for our sins. He was delivered over to death for our sins. That's why our Lord then, when he bore the unrighteousness of this world, with the crown of thorns in his head, with the nails through his feet in his hands, cried out, Why have you forsaken me? Propitiation is what Jesus did for us. Not in the sense that we are so special. But this expression, he did it for us, means he did it in our stead. So that we don't need to do it. He made peace with God. And now God gives graciously. What does he give? The most common meaning with this word to give graciously in the Old Testament is to pardon. To graciously say your sins are forgiven. And we read about that in Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. You get that? He forgave your sins. Having cancelled the written code and its re- with his regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away by nailing it to the cross. We've sung that hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. You know, they are good people. They are very kind people in our world and they are very loving people even in the church. But there are people who are good and loving and kind and and all these things who perhaps try to work out their own salvation. How, how on earth can we face God? If on that day of judgment we say to him, Lord, you've given your son, but I've tried my own. I'm coming to you with my own. Thank you for Jesus, but no thank you.
old fellow after church one morning he came to me and he said there's one thing you said that I don't agree with you and I said what's that and he said you said that we are all sinners I said yeah well that's true that's what the Bible says he said well I disagree with you because I'm not a sinner I've never done anything wrong in my life. So that's to say to God, God, you made a mistake with Jesus. I I don't need him. My good friend Robin stood behind me and sharp as he was, looked over my shoulder and he said, my dear friend, I have to disagree with you. You said you've never sinned in your life, but you've just told a lie. I'd rather stand before God and say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come for to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin, I cry to you. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let us pray. O oh Lord. Why would you, the holy, righteous, eternal Father, love us? And why would you then give up your Son to make atonement for us? Why, Lord, why me? Faith does not ask of us to understand but faith asks of us to take hold and so Lord although we do not understand why you loved us and why you had to send your son Jesus Christ by faith we just take hold of it today and we sing, wash me, Savior, or I die. Amen.